As we get into our sermon series on having the heart of Jesus, today I'm going to be speaking a message called Compelled by Love. As I get into my message, I have a question that I want to propose, and it's this. Have you ever been the recipient of someone's generosity? I'm not talking about small G generosity, even though that's good and that's welcome. I'm referring to big G generosity. That's what I call it. The kind that's beyond your means. The kind that shows up when you've got nothing left. The kind that leaves an imprint on your soul. The kind that arrives just when you need it the most. The kind that lets you know that God knows and that God cares. You know, the kind that comes as a generous love gift, an expression intentionally targeted in your direction. We have. We've been on the receiving end. We've also been on the giving end. It appears on your doorstep, sometimes in packages, sometimes in your mailbox on a post-it note. Sometimes it's offered to meet unexpected expenses, and other times it's given to convey some maybe much-needed encouragement. But bear in mind, it's not about a dollar amount, it's about the need. It's about being there and knowing where there actually is and for whom. And before we forget, the blessing of B, uh, big G generosity, it's attached to obedience. It's being open. It's being available. It's being present. One more thing. It almost always arrives through the hands and through the heart of people, people like you and I. It's incredibly humbling and honoring all at the same time. And here's the reason why. It's because it lifts it boosts, it builds, it heals, it frees, and it restores. It's love that should compel us to live that kind of way, really. And that's what I'm talking about, being compelled by that kind of love, to have a heart that goes out to others simply for the sake of others. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 instructs us to love one another, for love comes from God. A few verses later in 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12, John writes to remind us that since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I like that um, because it, it brings it home to us. Since God loved us in this way, this is how we should respond in love. And if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And again, a few verses further on, John beautifully summarizes and captures a thought for us that God is love and that we can love only because or on the belief or basis that he first loved us. So love reciprocates. Love seeks to reconcile and redeem that which is empty and fragile, lost and broken. Jesus exemplifies this kind of love in Luke chapter 7. And in each situation in the book of Luke, we see the heart of Jesus on display, a heart that is truly compelled by love. There are three different life situations that are represented in that chapter. Three unique examples, three types of people. There's a centurion, there's a widow, and there is a prostitute. But for the sake of time, let's look primarily today at the story of how, or better yet, why Jesus raises a widow's son. 
It's the second situation that's listed. There's some key lessons here that we can learn uh, for ourselves from this story. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 7, and beginning in verse 11, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. I'm going to talk about that in a moment because it's very significant. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, this is the verse that I want to focus in on today. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin and those carrying in it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Then it goes on in verse 16 and says, They were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Keep that in mind. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. No, when the Lord saw her, it says in Luke here, it says, his heart went out to her. I love that. His heart went out to her. We're talking in our series about having the heart of Jesus. Today, being compelled by love. But not only did his heart go out to her and the fact that I love that verse, and I hope that you do too, but I'm challenged by that statement. Because I know that my heart doesn't always go out to others the way that I know it should, or even the way I would like it to. I don't always see people the way Jesus does. That's challenging for me. And being honest, I'm not always looking either. And I'm too focused maybe on my own needs or my own, on my own desires. And if you're honest too, so are you. Being compelled by love is noticing the people and the needs around us and making ourselves available to be a resource, whatever it may be for that person in that particular moment. It's being there for people, being present, no matter where people are at in life, no matter who they are, rich, poor, alone, popular, marginalized, or outcast, it doesn't really matter. Being compelled by love is about seeing people where they are, putting ourselves in their place, seeking to understand and empathize with their life situation and their need, trying to feel what they feel, hoping to see what Jesus sees, longing to embrace the Jesus way, loving how Jesus loves with dignity and with generosity and consistency. As Christ followers seeking to live out the heart of Jesus in our own community, we have both the responsibility and the opportunity to live our lives daily compelled by love, by that kind of love. Not only because Scripture commands us to love with the love of Christ, but even more so because God is love and where his and we are his image bearers on this earth. It's who we are, and it's what we're called to mirror to everyone around us without preference, without favoritism, even without 
prejudice. See, Jesus saw a widow in this story. Someone who in this moment of life had nothing and no one left. Someone who was on the brink of despair. Someone who culturally at that time should have been taken care of by family, but now wouldn't be. Someone who would most likely fall through the cracks, even lost track of due to the busyness of day-to-day life of others, even the well-meaning. She was a widow in need, and Jesus' heart went out to her. So he reached out, and he restored with what he knew would best care for her. In the book, Love Walked Among Us, it's written by Paul E. Miller, Learning to Love Like Jesus. He writes a description of this passage of scripture. And the story takes place in a town called Nain. In the Hebrew language, Nain sounds like the word pleasant. But for this woman, this widow, that day was anything but pleasant. In fact, it was painful. It was sorrowful. Miller highlights the sorrow and the anguish of this death. And he writes this. He says, this widow's son, her only son, has died. And this is not the first time she had to bury a loved one. She's a widow. In other words, she had to bury her husband at one point earlier. The greatest joy for a Jewish woman was to bear a son. To lose a son, the greatest sorrow. The loss of her husband and only son now means a life of poverty. It's important to note that. So put yourself in her world, even for a moment. For this widow, she has lost absolutely everything. Along with the crowd of mourners from the town, she is now making her procession to the graveyard, winding her way through the streets. And many in the crowd... Uh, Miller goes on to write this. He says, Many in the crowd symbolically share the mother's burden and grief by taking their turn holding the casket. It's worth noting that the graveyard that they were going to was east of Nain, along the road that winds its way to Capernaum, Jesus' home base. It's where he centered his ministry from. Perhaps Jesus' heart went out to her because he could relate, or at least he could anticipate his own mother's experience, the moment of his own death on the cross, that impending point when he would one day die. Maybe he was putting himself into that place. We don't know that, just surmising that. But imagine those, those moments for that widow, for Jesus, and he puts himself into her place, into her situation, and he can feel that pain, and he wants to somehow remedy it. Paul Miller says, Jesus enters this woman's world, feeling what it's like to be in her place. And I suppose the point I'm making here is this, that it's important that we learn how to identify and maybe even enter into someone else's world as best as we can, feeling what it's like to be in their place, knowing what their need is, and somehow to be there, be present for them in that moment. Jesus reached out 
because love compelled him to reach out. When empathy greets destiny in view of eternity, there's a tug on our heart that we simply cannot ignore. It compels us to act, to reach out, to reconcile, and to restore. In preparation for this series that we're doing, I intentionally uh, put some additional books onto my reading list. I have a reading list that I go through every year. And as I, when I knew that this sermon series was coming up, I threw in some books that I probably would not normally read. Um, but I did so because of the sermon series to try to get a little bit of a jump on where our series was headed. And I've been really challenged in many, many ways because of it, and I'm learning a lot. In a book called Reconcile, John Paul Lederich suggests that reconciliation begins with a quality of presence that emanates from love before it's embodied with compassion. When it comes to loving our neighbors, he writes this in his book. He says, Jesus lived in a way that was continuously aware of the sacred around him. And he had the extraordinary capacity to see the person and greet the divine in the other. It says the key to this presence was his capacity to notice the humanity of others, especially those most invisible and neglected in his day and time. Jesus was attentive to and noticed the sacred quality of personhood. Just something so simple, but personhood humanity, the things that we care about, the things that affect us. So what can we do? How can we relate in that? Here's what we can do. We can allow our eyes to see. We can allow our heart to feel. We can allow our mind to perceive what's best for people, not always or only what's best for us. We can allow our feet to go where the need is. We can allow our hands to reach out and bring healing through the name and the power of Jesus. And when we do, what happens is lives open up, lives change, and lives come to life. And note this, others take notice of how God has come to help, because that's what happened in the story. Other people took notice. People recognize love in motion. People respond to love in action. It says, they, the crowd, were all filled with awe and they praised God. And they said this, a great prophet has appeared among us and God has come to help us. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Here's what's interesting is that news of Christ's love will spread when you and I live compelled by love. When we risk something of ourselves to reach out in love to touch the coffin of burden, that place of death and despair and discouragement that people around us are carrying. Just like Jesus, when he reached out and he touched the coffin and he spoke to the life within, in many ways, it's the same thing. Jesus was doing that literally in that moment. But we too can speak to the life within, to the coffin of burden that people are carrying around with them. We don't have to look hard. They're everywhere. We simply need to position ourselves close enough to see and to feel their pain and then speak 
words of hope and life into their situation and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. He's the one who raises the dead to life. He's in the business of restoring and renewing and reviving. But you might be asking, how can I be that burden lifter, that hope restorer, that life giver, even that love dispenser to those around me? It's a great question, and I've been asking that question. First of all, we can't. It's not you nor is it I, nor is it about us. It's Christ in us that becomes each of these things as we position ourselves to come alongside and do life with others, allowing the Holy Spirit to work around us and through us as he desires. Build rapport with people first. Start there. Relationship flows through rapport. Get to know their story. Listen with your ears, but also listen with your heart. Love unconditionally, unapologetically, even non-judgmentally. Soon enough, you'll get to share your story. It's your God's story. And they may even ask to hear it and just be willing and be ready and be available, be present. It's a story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 23 to 37. And Jesus uses the story of this Good Samaritan to make a point about what genuine love looks like. Luke chapter 10, in verse 20, <clears throat> 23, or 25, he begins. And he talks about this occasion when an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he's asking the question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus' reply was, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You've answered correctly. You've answered right. Do this and you will live. And this man asks the question, he's trying to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? See, Jesus is trying to make a point. And when we read this in the story of the Good Samaritan, he's making a point about what genuine love looks like. It's not just about who your neighbor is, it's about what love looks like. When we read the biblical narrative, we can easily get sidetracked trying to define who our neighbor is rather than hear the main point that Jesus is making. When you get right down to the very end of the story, he says this, go and do likewise. We're tempted to turn it into a metaphor rather than to take it at face value. In another book that I have been reading, The Art of Neighboring, it's an excellent book, Building Genuine Relationship Right Outside Your Door, the authors, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon, they talk about neighboring and what that looks like. And they write this. They said, unfortunately, we're often moving too fast to notice that those right around us need a good neighbor. That's all they need is a good neighbor. And when we hear the story about the Good Samaritan, we're tempted to fall into the trap similar to that of the expert in the law. He wanted to define who qualified as his neighbor. And in looking for a loophole, he missed the lesson that Jesus tried to teach. And they go on to say, 
we need to apply Jesus' teaching to our literal neighbors. They're real people with real names, phone numbers, and addresses. And for reference, to quickly summarize the story, here's what happened. A man is beaten, he's left for dead on the side of the road. Three people, there's a priest, there's a Levite, and there is a good Samaritan. Happen, and they happen to be walking down this same road when they see a man lying there. And two of the three pass by on the other side. They see him, but they pay no attention to him, to that hurting, dying man. Only the Samaritan stops. And the Bible says that he took pity on him. In other words, he felt deep compassion for this man. His heart was compelled by love to stop, to help to do something, anything really, to bandage his wounds, to lift him up off the ground, to get him back onto his feet and restore him back to health and wholeness. And in telling the story, Jesus assumed that his audience would be able to love those nearest him, their literal neighbors, the people most like them, who shared the same heritage and geography, And in telling the parable, Jesus was stretching their concept of neighbor to include even people from a group they didn't like or would not naturally associate with, similar to the way we sometimes treat the people around us. We need to apply Jesus' teaching to our literal neighbors, to tie it to real people with real names and phone numbers and addresses and needs. As Christians, our story is one of rescue, much like that of the Good Samaritan, except that we were the ones left for dead on the side of the road because of sin. And Jesus was the one who reached out to pull us up to give us a chance at new life. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, For we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We're not left alone to fend for ourselves. God loves us enough to make provision for us through Christ, to meet us on our life and faith journey, and to not leave us in a state of brokenness or helplessness, in a state of emptiness or hopelessness. He meets us where we are powerless, and he strengthens us in our weakness. Bible says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life with him. That's real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And if God loves us this much, then we too should pray and believe that we can live compelled by such a great love, to respond to such great love. Our world is desperate for this kind of sacrificial love. Therefore, we must become desperate to demonstrate that kind of love to our world. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. The Bible tells us that no one has ever seen God. 
But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. People see God's love through our love for one another and for our world. So, let's be people who have the heart of Jesus. People who are compelled by love. And if you've never experienced the love of Christ, his love reaches out to you today. And I pray that you would be compelled by that love to give your heart to Jesus as he reaches out to you to rescue you, to lift you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to bring you into a place of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, into this world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but could have everlasting life. Thank you that you loved us first and that we can respond to that love and then reciprocate that love back to others. And I pray today that we can be a people compelled by your love to reach into our world and to help those who are around us and to be a true neighbor, a neighbor who can represent the heart of Jesus through a heart that is compelled by your love for those around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray today. Amen. God bless you.